This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by Fraser Nelson and Michael Simmons. Uh, now, Fraser, I think the big story which everyone's been talking about today, really, is Labour doubling down on these attack adverts they put out. They first put it out on Thursday, uh, effectively accusing Rishi Sunak of not caring about child sex abuse. And there's a report today in The Times about Labour actually going further with these adverts and going to be blaming him personally for the economic chaos in last year's mini budget and subsequent rising mortgage rates. Uh, I just wonder what you what you think of all of this. And, um, you know, Emily Thornbury gave a, a sort of a pretty mixed performance on Radio 4 today. Is this something that all of Keir Starmer's party are comfortable with? Well, no, it's not. I mean, the, the the story has moved on, I think. It's no longer the controversy over the poster, but the emerging split within the Labour Party. So we've got here from Keir Starmer's team, shall we say, these anonymous briefings say that they regret Rien. You know, they would happily do it again. They're going to double down on it. And also using language which was familiar from the 1994-5 Blair era, where Blair's guys thought that they'd been too soft in the past, that they Labour didn't win because the Tories had pummeled them and they'd just taken the beating, whereas now they're going to be as give as good as they get and they can start to play hardball. And that means suggesting that Rishi Sunak is soft, or, or in this case, but he literally doesn't think that adults convicted of um, sexual abusing children should go to prison. Even though they've got no evidence for that, they're going to say it. Now, Two thoughts on that. One is that this is obviously dishonest of them. Nobody doubts that. But then again, I remember Dominic Cummings being dishonest when he was saying that £350 million a week was being sent to the EU, that we should spend it on the NHS instead. That boast was on the side of a bus. I only found out after the campaign that it was intentionally dishonest. But the idea, in giving the gross figure, not the net figure, was that you get it talked about. The more it gets talked about, the more the original claim gets out there, and the more the subject of the conversation is how much we give to the EU, not the precise amount of it. Whether it was 250 million a week or 350, it didn't really matter. I think the same tactic here, we're seeing not so much Lyndon Crosby tactics, but Dominic Cummings tactics being used now by Labour. They want to make an allegation, they want to make it in an outrageous way that's going to cause comment, and so we're now going to spend our podcast discussing Tory policy on sentencing child abusers, um, albeit triggered by discussion as to whether Labour should have done this or not. The other thing that interests me, of course, is that the Shadow Cabinet did not appear to have been briefed on this strategy nor prepared for it. So Emily Thornbury this morning uh, was really struggling to justify it. Uh, Several other Labour figures, including Yvette Cooper, the Shadow Home Secretary, has not endorsed this. So it seems this this particular sort of hardball is only being played by a small fraction of the Labour team. And indeed, only a small fraction were even aware that Keir Starmer had changed tactics. I mean, Fraser, I mean... We've always seen Starmer in the recent years as sort of Mr. Rules, the kind of crime-busting Elliot Ness lawyer, the director of public prosecutions who plays by the rules in contrast to the wicked Boris Johnson and uh, sort of the careless Liz Truss. And I think this sort of contrast now, doesn't that sort of seem a bit undone by this latest shift in tone? After three years trying to introduce him to voters as someone who is basically a, a decent lawyer trying to do the right thing. They're now embracing this kind of Dominic Cummings, dark arts, mastery. Can this sort of vibe shift pull off? 
I'm not sure the decent lawyer did the right thing worked particularly well for him. The funny thing is, he has not been loyally and forensic in Prime Minister's questions. He's been a, a bit of a damp squib, really. What we're seeing now is Steely Starmer, the, the chap who has been quietly winning his battle with the Corbynites, the guy who's about to expel pretty much his predecessor from the party, and who has been winning something like 50 or 60 of the last selection battles of the Labour constituencies that are likely to give Labour MPs at the next general election. So he is, I think, trying to say here that he has got the steel needed to be leader. And having finished reforming his party, he now wants to finally turn his fire on the Tories. So we're seeing a new look uh, Keir Starmer. Uh, I guess what we're yet to see is how plausible it really is, because when he was, he's written, or rather he was, um, he was ghosted for him, a piece in the uh, Daily Mail where he was um, saying that he doesn't apologise, he's going to give us a lot of, it, it was a change of tone, and for me it wasn't particularly convincing. Now, I could be being mean to him, so perhaps we are going to see the side of his character develop. But we can certainly see a shift in the evolution of Keir Starmer as a politician. One, by the way, that um, perhaps can't come too soon. There is an opinion poll for The Observer yesterday showing that Labour's lead, which at one point was 30 points, has now shriveled right down to 11 points. Now, that's an outlying poll, but if it becomes the consensus, then the next election is all of a sudden very winnable for the Tories indeed. Now, let me bring in Michael Simmons here. I mean, Michael, you've been following what's been going on in Scotland and the Police Scotland probe into the alleged SNP spending allegations with interest, Michael. Update us what happened over the weekend. So towards the end of last week, um, after the scenes died down of the the forensic tents outside the Murrell and Sturgeon household and the police raids at SNP HQ in Edinburgh, I'd kind of thought the story was going to die down for a while. We wouldn't hear much because the police investigation could go on for months. It's already been running for 18 months and it might be a while before kind of the story moved on. But one thing happened over the weekend that has really caught people by surprise, and I think if you were writing this as a comedy, you wouldn't make it up. The Mail revealed that on the same day of the raid on the Wednesday morning, a motorhome, a luxury motorhome worth an estimated £110,000, was seized from the home of Peter Murrell's elderly mother in Fife, about 50 miles away from, from where he lives with Nicola Sturgeon. Now, whose motorhome it was, what it was seized for, nobody knows, but it's just made this story kind of seem even more ridiculous. All we do know about the motorhome is from quotes that um, the mother-in-law's neighbours have given, which is that it was delivered there sometime probably January 2021 and the neighbours say it's never moved since so what the motorhome was for is anyone's guess Um, and finally I think Fraser tomorrow the big story is going to be Joe Biden coming to town and we see him uh, landing because of today's 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, just talk us through about the, the kind of set piece we're going to see in the next few days. Obviously, it comes a few weeks after Rishi Sunak secured parliamentary assent for the Stormont break. Will this be an occasion for the Prime Minister to try to tout his deal and unlock American investment in Northern Ireland? 
Well, he's due to arrive tomorrow evening in Air Force One. He's going to be greeted by Rishi Sunak when he arrives. They're going to meet again on Wednesday morning. And then he's going to give a speech marking the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement under the auspices of the university where Hillary Clinton is is Chancellor. And then he's going to um, nip down to Dublin for a... uh, a rather longer visit where he'll be highlighting his claims to be Irish. This is, you know, in a way, this isn't, I wouldn't read too much into it politically, except to say that, um, you know, the Good Friday Agreement is always seen by half-interested and often quite uninformed Americans as, as being this great, fantastic achievement and Brexit would put it under threat, etc. The British government has been trying to say, no, no, what puts peace in Northern Ireland under threat is Northern Ireland Protocol, which unionists believe is severing their links to Britain and it needs to be um, put back into balance. But I think um, that with the uh, Windsor Agreement has been put back into balance now. So we will be seeing the speech, we will just be reminded just how much attention in um, Washington still is paid to Northern Irish politics. Uh, it's one thing that, 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 that resonates and often to the detriment when, when the UK was trying to get a trade deal with America. That would always be the caveat that would be thrown up. So I'm not sure we'll see too much movement in the political dial um, on Wednesday when all of these events are taking place. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.